Hello, Just Hands Nation. Just one major announcement today. I'll remember to book your seat for our live coaching event with Thinking Poker this March 25th and 26th. I'll act quickly since Thinking Poker has not yet announced the event on their podcast, meaning it will be much easier to guarantee the session you want if you book in the next week. For more information about that event, head to justhandspoker.com slash thinkingpokernyc, which is linked to in the show notes. Uh, and in lieu of other major announcements, we thought we'd cover a few basics. You can follow us on Twitter, at JustHandsPoker. Uh, and remember to review us on iTunes or whatever podcast directory you use. That really helps with our rankings and search results. And finally, consider becoming a Just Hands member to support the show and get much more than your money's worth in coaching and content. Uh, and you can find out more about that at JustHandsPoker.com slash membership. All right, guys. Thank you, and enjoy this week's episode. Hey, Jack. Hey, Zach. What's going on? Great to see you earlier today. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's always good to see you. Uh, we're recording this over video, so I'm seeing you again now. Yeah. Uh, likewise, nice. We normally just stick with uh, the sort of Skype picture, uh, which gets a little old, a little impersonal after a while. So happy to mix things up, and that's all on account of our guest today. You want to give him a proper introduction? Yeah, today we have fitness extraordinaire, former CEO of fitness for none other than Gary Vaynerchuk, and my favorite fitness blogger, Snapchatter, tweeter. He's standing here right now, Mike Vacanti. How are you doing today, man? Man, I'm good. That's quite the introduction. I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, so we hear, you know, in your downtime when you're not, you know, lifting weights, helping clients completely transform their bodies, that you play a little poker. <laughs> I play a little poker in my downtime. That's true. Uh, oh, we got the blender bottle. Perfect. Hydration. Jack, we should have prop it on that. <laughs> I love that <laughs> the blender bottle makes it into that. 38 seconds. Yeah. Um, so you, you have a hand from us. When? Where were you playing? What? What's the hand? I was playing at the Aria, playing 1-2 No Limit Hold'em. And this was in August of this year. And so it was like a, a Friday night before I was going to go out, and I probably played for two hours just for the free drinks. And so my opponent in the hand, literally, I was about to pick up. I had my chips racked. I had a friend on my side who was trying to drag me to dinner. I was in the cutoff, and, and I was like, bro, like five more minutes. I want to play my free hands. And he's like, we have a reservation, yada, yada. I'm like, okay, last hand. My opponent literally sat down under the gun plus one and posted and uh, like looked like a, like an affliction shirt, like like big muscular dude, perfectly groomed beard, like that kind of guy. And so sits down, posts under the gun plus one without thinking about it. And so I, I had no reads and it was a heads up pot. Okay. Uh, so what was the preflap action? So I get two black aces and uh, fold. He checks. There may have been a limp, um, either one limp or folded to me. And I raised to 10 or $12. It folded to him and he called. So, so this is a 1-2 game at the Aria? This is a 1-2 game at the Aria. What, what's your average stakes on this show? Am I just... Uh... No, <laughs> we get... Mostly one, two, through five, ten, and then we have had uh, some twenty-five, fifty hands from Poker Night in America. 
Oh, nice. Some implies plural. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, well, we and, talked about two hands on that episode. Oh, I, I guess think. we talked about two hands. And then, and then we had a main event hand on where the equity probably made it more like a similar like 25-50 type hand. But, you know, Jack and I were, were low stakes grinders. I love it. Uh, primarily, you know, at the, the 2.5 and 1.25 PLO level. So that's the type of stuff we think about, the stuff we analyze, and yeah. So one two Amazing. is definitely in our in our mailbag. Uh, All right, good. So good. what was your stack size, and what was like the average stack size at the table? I was up two or three buy-ins, so I, I think I had like seven hundred dollars in front of me. Um, the average stack size at the table was there were probably two guys with less than fifty bets. There were not nine of us at the table, two guys with less than 50 bets. Um, no one had more than like 150 bets. So everyone was kind of in like close to mm-hmm. Iraq. Okay. And this guy obviously just sat down. Did he buy sat in for the, for the max over $200? Mm-hmm. Was, is, it, is it a $200 or a $400 cap? I think I've actually played in that game. I think it's a $400 cap. But yeah, probably a lot of people buy in for 200 so he's sitting with two hundred. He's sitting. The effective with stack is two hundred dollars, and we're heads up to the flop, holding aces. We were the preflop raiser, on he called, and sort of regardless of whether or not that's our standard raise size ten or twelve, he's not going to know. Right. Uh, and so you would say this player is probably aware that you're about to leave. Um. Yeah. I mean, yes, I have the racks on the table yeah, the racks your friends there so this is kind of a dream spot yeah. uh i mean obviously if we'd had a little bit more action pre-flop it would have been great but uh whenever we're about to leave and you pick up a hand like aces uh i think you're gonna get people playing somewhat poorly against you and they're gonna assume that maybe you just wanted to play your last hand yeah it's kind of like in the straddle like if if you raise it when it's limp to you in the straddle people will just not give you premium hands they'll give you like a zero percent chance of having like jacks plus so i think this is like a similar type spot and you know if you play aggressively post flop even if you've been kind of snug throughout i think people are gonna correctly think that you're more likely to be bluff heavy here like i think i take like a random kind of you know younger white guy with his friends who's drinking and the friends come and he's about to leave like i think he's going to be more bluff heavy in this spot so yeah dream spot yeah Yeah. Yeah, i mean also a young guy who's uh in your up it's just all the ingredients that have like a pretty wide range. Yeah. Uh, I think even uh, even if this player is like very much an amateur, which is likely at one two, they're probably going to pick up on that considering their age. You said this was a younger guy, well groomed beard. I, I just assumed like thirties. Yeah, I I would guess early thirties, and that's very interesting. What you guys both similarly described because my perspective, and I'm a nit at heart, so. Maybe this is different, but I assume that I don't like. I want to protect winnings because that's like where my head is. So I don't want to be playing. So if I'm playing as I'm picking up, I felt like that was an obvious. I have a real hand, which is just interesting because I think I'm wrong. But mm-hmm. well, once I, I do think that some players will play like that, uh, and if you can identify that, it's valuable information. But I think just given the circumstances and the fact that you did raise, it just makes it more likely in their eyes that you'll have a wide range, like for sort of Bayesian reasons. Uh, had you, had you, Bayesian? Yeah, Bayesian. 
Sorry, uh, it, had you folded, I, I, I sort of muffled the word. Anyway, had you folded, I guess, for the same reasons, maybe they would have thought you were a knit. Uh, sort of recency bias at work. Anyway, yeah. I, I'm going to be sort of analyzing the hand from the perspective that this player thinks that you're playing a somewhat wider range. Cool. Okay, so the flop. The flop is 228 rainbow. Okay. Uh, and did this player check? This player checked. I want to get like bet sizing exactly right. So there's there's 28-ish in the pot, and uh, I'm not very good. I, I see bet 15. Uh, I think 15 is certainly like a very reasonable bet size here. Uh, theory would tell us that given the board texture, the fact that there are very few strong hands, uh, we should be c-betting on the smaller side to try and get some of his hands like ace highs, which are unlikely, but uh, you'll try and convince some of his overcard hands to call. So I think an even smaller bet will work too, but I think at these games... Uh, especially on the flop, staying half pot or larger is generally going to be best since I think betting smaller raises alarm bells. Uh, so I actually really like this sizing, and I definitely think we should be betting. So for the reasons we talked about before in terms of like this villain correctly profiling you, that you're going to have a wide range in the spot, uh, mm-hmm. I think also with the board texture and your blockers, you should go exploitably large here. You know, it's a lot more likely for him to have unlikely for him to have ace high because you have two aces. So now we're thinking, okay, do we want to call from like a random king high or the small amount of ace high floats and get kind of range from those and the pairs, or do we want to try to get like max value, put him to the test with his pairs? And my thought in this spot is like, just like go for max value with these pairs. And again, this is a little bit different just because I typically get a lot less credit in the games I play in than Jack for a variety of reasons. So I think in this spot. I kind of like like a bet between thirty and forty dollars because I feel like with a pair he's either gonna like decide it's good and probably call you down when you do a, kind of a crazy bet sizing like that, or you know maybe worst case scenario you get him to fold a pair of sixes, but if he folds a pair of sixes like fifty percent of the time and then like calls you down on like a really non scary run out because it looks so bluffy on the flop the other fifty percent of the time that's a lot better than him calling a hundred percent of the time for fifteen. So I yeah. think this is actually a good spot to overbet with kind of all the game dynamics. Mm-hmm. I I can get behind that, especially against a villain that we, for some reason, know is fairly passive. I think given the player description, uh, this sounds like a player that, just based on age and look, I assume has sort of the propensity or capacity to bluff, which if this was like a you know, 50-plus-year-old guy you know wearing sort of like you know your classic like button down shirt yeah yeah don't offend our listeners jack come on (laughs) if if this if this villain looked more like that type then uh i would probably target the calling range for a larger sizing i think given this villain so much of this player's range is going to be air that i think betting a size that is more likely to get bluff raised uh, is going to be best, especially since our hand is ba- it, it's so strong and it has nothing to fear. Uh, that's actually a reason to maybe check with his hand, but I think it's better to bet. 
Uh, so I would rather bet a size that could get raised, uh, especially since I think our range is perceived to be rather wide and we're getting ready to go. And I think a player who picks up on that is going to be somewhat likely to raise sort of our half bet or our half pot C bet here. It's, it's my hunch. There's not a lot that can go wrong when you're holding aces on this board. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to agree with you there. I actually probably bet a little bit smaller just to do, Mike, I kind of call this like a fuck you bet, like a bet sizing that just is like so weird that almost like it personally offends people. So like mm-hmm. betting 12 mm-hmm. as opposed to 15, like I feel like you're going to increase his bluffing frequency way more than the percent that it should for just the lack of $3. So yeah, I think it's 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 actually a weird spot where it's like an overbet and kind of an underbet are the two best sizings. And based mm-hmm. on the description of the player, um, Jack, I, I can get behind the underbet being better than the overbet. But for, I think, most people, you'll find out a 1-2 table. I think the overbet might be a better play. Mm. Yeah, and I, I actually think uh, for sort of reasons that I don't have a very good theoretical reason to explain, but I have a hunch it'll work out well. If you bet the same bet that you made pre-flop, uh, I think that'll work out well. That's just something I see amateurs do, and it just like tempts me like to raise them. Uh, and so if this is a player who thinks anything like I do, and you bet if you bet that same sizing that you did pre-flop again, I think you'll have some good results. For some of us, it tempts us. For others, we pull the trigger. i'm loving this by the way i want to do this with more than one hand like to pay you guys to do this fyi but continue if only we had this like poker coaching service that we offered but go go, go on (laughs) go on with the action so yeah yeah, you bet 15 uh i'm gonna guess he didn't just fold or else this would not be it wouldn't be an interesting hand no he he took less than five seconds and min raised so wait wait let's uh mike what do you what are you thinking here man like what what did how did you perceive the min raise and yeah i'm i'm after hearing you guys go back and forth me with like five vodka sodas in me and my buddy dragging me to dinner i was like okay i have aces i i I was thinking i'm either going to call or three bet and three bet this dry board this dry paired board makes no sense because I don't think this guy ever continues with a bluff if I three bet. Um, I think I only get called by better or like most of the time get called by better if I three bet. And so I'm going to call. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely right. Uh, yeah. I, I think if this player was just like, I think there'll definitely be a player like this who might min raise like eights or nine. Uh, well, maybe eights, but like nines or tens to see where they're at. And then if you like raise a lot, they'll level themselves into calling. Uh, So I think it is possible to get called by worse, but I think, yeah, generally like because of the reasons we said before and how draw heavy this uh, dry, this board is and the, the metagame dynamics, like he's so weighted towards bluffs here that you just want to like call tin your hand into a bluff catcher. And if he checks a future street, just like, Hope he did it with nines or tens, and it's going to pay you off in the future. But I think, yeah, at this point, you have a pretty standard call. Yeah, and I think a big mistake that players make is so. Let's imagine you're you're the other player, and you're you have you have air. Let's say like 
King 10 offsuit or something. And you decide that, you know, you're probably full of shit. I'm going to min-raise this guy, which is kind of a common response to, like, see bets on this type of board uh, among the 1-2 field. When you call, I think players should be shutting down a lot, like, with bluffs. Because once you call this bet, you're demonstrating some strength. But I think that there's an issue among recreational players that once they're in bluff mode, they're going to stay in bluff mode. And so rather than realize, like, okay... Before he had his entire range, and now that he called my bet, he's probably a lot stronger than I actually thought he was. Uh, they're just going to be in bluff mode, and they're going to continue firing. Uh, and I think that's the biggest reason to call. Uh, there's very few hands, maybe even zero hands, that in theory should want to raise here. Uh, especially hands that in theory, would maybe want to raise here for value and weren't raised pre-flop. Like a hand like Jack's is a hand that might want to value raise here. I don't think it should always value raise, or maybe maybe it shouldn't at all. But if I had a two uh, and I thought you had a wide range, I would definitely not raise. I would let you continue to barrel. Uh, and there's no other very strong hands in this person's range other than eight's full and if you have eights full, I'm sure you could value raise, but I think that most players are going to slow play. So I definitely like the call. And let's hope that we see more action. Yeah. Because to be cool. clear, don't fold. We'll, we'll, we might get to that in future streets, but this, I'm not, can't really imagine a run out other than, honestly, I can't really imagine a run out where I'm going to be folding aces. Uh, in this situation, yeah, you'd have to have like a strong read, and maybe have like two eights come out. I don't know. <laughs> Even two eights is not, yeah. Again, with with a strong read, you know. Right. Okay. So onto the turn. Onto the turn. The turn is a ten. So two two eight ten that brought a backdoor flush draw. Okay. And. and well-groomed beard man bet $30 into approximately 90. I When I see this sizing, I see, you know, I can't necessarily say it's more likely for him to, because of the sizing, be value betting or bluffing, which is because his range should have so many more bluffs. I think it's more likely to be a bluff. But I think that you can definitely see a value bet here with, like, pocket nines, pocket jacks, if he had pocket tens on the flopped and turned in a full house, maybe he'd do it with that sizing as well. Uh, but for the reasons Jack said before, I wouldn't put the like a X two X or eights full in his range with kind of the way the action went. So I think we have another kind of clear call. Very difficult to get called by worse, um, and uh, we're doing very well against his betting range. I want to let him bluff on the the river. Yeah, this is. Well, the sizing actually, I think, is is complicating this a little bit because we want to give ourselves a pretty good chance uh, to get all the money in. And I think had this player bet larger, like maybe a more appropriate uh, bet size of like 60, then you know his final bet would probably be all in, uh, which would be good if he was bluffing. And if he's not bluffing and decides to... You know, check for pot control. 
then we'll be able to put in one bet uh, and get all the money in by the river. I think when he bets 30 here, it's very unlikely that he is going to voluntarily put the rest of his stack in. And I think we want to give him an opportunity to do that. I think this line is somewhat consistent with an eight, given how these games play. You know, it's sort of a separate debate of whether or not people should be, you know, raising an eight on the flop and value betting that eight once called. Here on the turn, I would say that would be probably not a very good play. Uh, but I do think it's it's likely uh, with with this player's eights. So I think I think you should we should definitely consider a value raise here. Yeah, I mean, I just I I really disagree. You know, I think that like the range that we're trying to target is just not super likely to call us. And if he's the type of guy that's going to like play an eight this way and call us on the turn when we raise. I mean, I feel like they can call us on the river when we raise uh, on a lot of river runouts, and then that has the added benefit of keeping the bluffs in the range. But just because of the board texture, this guy should have so many more bluffs than, like, weird value raises. So I think we're just missing a ton of value by not letting him, you know, barrel off. It kind of sucks that we have a really strong hand and that we'd like to get, you know, max value from jacks, but I think because he only has jacks or, like, nines or an eight such a small percentage of the time we have to you know make sure we get decent value from from bluffs because they're just going to be so much more prevalent i agree i think calling is best and i'm i'm actually not so worried about getting i think we're going to be able to get value from jacks uh because i think we are going to definitely be raising the river uh when bet into we're just going to jam and hope for the best and if we have a safe card, I, I don't think Jax is ever folding. I'm more worried about getting max value from an 8. Uh, I think from that specific part of the range, raising small on the turn might be effective. But I think given the entire composition of the range, I agree with you that calling here to keep bluffs in is going to be best. Cool. So what what were you thinking here? And what did you decide to do? I... To be super honest, I don't know exactly what I was thinking here. I know that I, uh, which wasn't even brought up by either of you guys, which <laughs> makes me feel like an idiot, but small bets like that feel like buying another card to me and like whatever part of his range has a backdoor flush draw, like that was on my mind. Um, I didn't see value in raising, again, like similar to a three bet on the flop that I just wasn't thinking that anything worse could call a, a turn raise, and so I called. Okay, so what? Uh, what was the river card? The river was an offsuit five. Two okay. two eight ten five. Pretty safe. What's he do? Uh, very quickly bets a hundred dollars. Okay. Okay. So, uh. so leaves himself like. Where were we? 90, uh, 45, 30. Like, left himself like 25 or $30 behind. <laughs> so, so first, before we get into it, Mike, how did you read the timing and the bet size? Strong. <laughs> yeah. So, so generally, yeah, these really fast timing tells, as well as, like, really large bets, are both polarizing. And... Uh, as Jack noted in a recent article in the blog, uh, 
generally polarizing things at the one two level are just you know more heavily weighted towards strength than they should be from like a game theory optimal standpoint. So I think you're definitely right to read this as as strength. That being said, yeah, uh, I think our hand is somewhat well disguised. Like I think this player should realize that we might have aces, but I also think this player would be a little bit surprised to see us play aces. I don't think we played it very passively, but to have seen us, you know, not three bet the flop, uh, not raise the turn. So I think if this player has any overpair, they're going to be, you know, pretty darn confident with this bet. I do think it makes a hand like an eight less likely. Uh, I think if this player had been bluffing and turned to 10, they could easily play it this way. I definitely think that we should raise because uh, I think this player is going to have enough hand, more hands that call us that we're beating that, that we aren't beating. And for that reason, we might as well just put in the last 25 or $30. And at the one, two level against an unknown, like no one is ever folding for the last 25 or 30. And yeah, like you might reveal the results and you might've lost the hand might've called and lost the hand. Uh, but just against like the guy's range, like I think it's just a very clear raise, right? And we'll we'll look in the break. I mean, it also depends on. I mean, against some players who are gonna check and call every single hand pre-flop, uh, but in you know, and then only call hands that are top pair plus. I think we'll still probably have enough value targets that we should be raising. Uh, but I, you could definitely construct a scenario where this player has enough twos that we should just be flatting. Uh, but I think that's pretty unlikely. But yeah, so, the main point is like you should never really be folding here, regardless of the results. You know, like mm-hmm. unknown player, you're in the hand. You know, you have a hand that's in the top of your range, and you have like live metagame reasons why he should be more likely to bluff. Mm. what'd you do what do you have so in my defense i didn't have that metagame read like we kind of said at the beginning is i assumed he thought i was stronger um for playing the hand i assumed that his range was i assumed he didn't have any value in his range that i beat like i i didn't think i didn't even like cross my mind that he could potentially play a 10 that way uh, and I didn't think like, you know, Jack, Jack through King, King didn't really cross my mind. I folded face up on the table to impress my buddy and, uh, and everyone else. And then he threw the King Jack off face up on the table to, to win my money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you guys are pretty spot on. <laughs> when I, I, I actually, you know, I think that. Maybe you didn't evaluate the situation correctly, but given how you did evaluate the situation, I do think that this fold is is a lot more conceivable. Like, there will be spots in these types of games where people sort of place your range squarely on ace king and over pairs. You know, so if we're in a similar spot, which is kind of hard to imagine, uh, but let's imagine we're in a similar spot where we three by pre-flop and we can be pretty confident that this player is going to perceive our range to be 
or at least the value portion of our range to be pretty much exclusively over pairs. And, you know, even though we might have ace-king also, we're never going to, you know, call it off with ace-king high. In that case, if we feel like our opponent's not going to be bluffing enough, which is very often, then I think we can feel like our over pairs not, like not good. So I think given your read in a similar situation where maybe we can be more confident in that read, uh, this type of play and this type of laydown could be, you know, genius. Uh, and I'm just not very good. Oh, like, yeah, I appreciate that, but... <laughs> well, it's just, it's a matter of experience. Uh, I think we have a slightly better perspective uh, having played in these games and seeing how people with your uh, image tend to play, you know, their last hand of the night. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a pretty understandable mistake to make. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it happens to the best of us. If there's, the 22-year-old reg at two seats to the left of me was pulling his hair out and looked at me, and I think he said something along the lines of, that was the worst fold I've ever seen. <laughs> Yeah, don't, which, uh, you, don't you love how which, these 22-year-old regs are good for the game, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think Ed Miller put it correctly. If you're not getting bluffed in 1-2, you're probably not a winning player. You know, we're we're going to adjust to our opponents in these games mostly by assuming that when they bet, they have it. Uh, and I think that that's going to be correct the vast majority of the time. And if there's any sort of you know, one, two amateur players who, you know, have a tight image that, you know, manage to find good bluffing spots, power to them, I'm going to fold and I'm going to feel good about it. And uh, they're going to take my money. But the vast majority of the field is not going to do that. So I think it's probably somewhat naive for this 22-year-old to, you know, be saying that, like, folding one pair is the worst fold they've uh, ever seen in a one-two game. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I probably should have called. <laughs> now we know for next time. Yeah. yeah, and also, Mike, like you know, I definitely it definitely seems like you're a real busy guy. I don't know how much time you have to study the pokers these days. Uh, I think you could feel good about the fact that you're definitely thinking about poker at you know a high percentile level for the one two uh, lineup. So you know, it's- don't. It's yeah. it's how I procrastinate doing actual work is watching oh. YouTube videos. See, and I'm the opposite. I procrastinate by doing work by watching fitness. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, amazing. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I I think you should feel good about like knowing that, maybe even if you're a losing player in these games, just because of like not playing very regularly and like things happening, whatever things like this happening, the few times you're able to find time to play the casino. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're doing good. You're thinking about, you're thinking about the hands well. I appreciate but, it. Yeah. From personal experience, like there can definitely be a gap between like how you think about the hands and how you analyze and how you execute, you know? And for some people, the gap is bigger. Uh, and for someone like yourself, like who, you know, knows how to learn and thinks about, you know, you're going to think about this a lot, but doesn't have the chance to play. It might be really frustrating because that gap is probably going to be much bigger for you than for most people, you know? Yeah, True. I also have a propensity for both hero calls and hero folds for whatever uh, vain egotistical reason. So I, I was going to mention that actually, like, you know, something I do notice when people's friends or girlfriends or wives are there is like the propensity to make like ego related plays, which generally takes the form of a hero fold or a hero call. And mm-hmm. if you haven't checked out the mental game of poker, you know, I and a lot of other poker players highly recommend it. It's written by a guy named Jared Tendler. 
Yeah, yeah. I read I read that in like when I was really playing 2010 maybe or 2011, 2012, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Yeah. The Mental Game of Poker to me is like on my list of books that I always try to read on like a regular basis just because you know, new things happen and new stuff comes in your life. So you're going to have new distractions, new ways you could potentially be tilted, new ways to not, you know, play your A game. Um, and there's a whole chapter and like exercise, a, a series of exercises for like combating ego related tilt. That but, I should be doing. <laughs> that Not that you should be doing, but just, you know, I, I feel like that's going to be the best bang for your buck, uh, especially like a few days, you know, before you're going to find yourself in a casino. Yeah, on a flight to Vegas or yeah, yeah, for sure. And it also that that's more with the goal of you know if you want to maximize EV, uh, which is kind of the framework which we look uh, when analyzing poker. But there's definitely something to be said for like when you make a hero fold in front of your friend and it works. Like yeah, you could you could quantify that as maybe like ten or fifteen dollars of value. Uh, and even when it doesn't work, the sort of setting yourself up to be the source of entertainment for your friends, uh, there there might be some you know monetary value for that. For and for, sure. And for us, you got the podcast equity too. Yeah, so. I know. Absolutely. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I've I've played a couple of hands like with marginal like podcast equity in mind. Like if I do this line, it'll probably make a better episode. So. <laughs> and, uh, I'd be lying to you if I said that I didn't have ego plays in home games. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, home games are all of uh, that's like <laughs> the outlet for poker ego, I think. Yeah. Oh, we should actually. Uh, so Jack and I are actually both in Ohio right now as of this filming, but likely when the recording or when the podcast comes out, we'll both be in New York City. And I know you're in nice. the gr- grindhouse right now, somewhere in the village. Sorry, I don't stalk you that hard. No, no, no. The, the Grindhouse <laughs> is a, a sublet in Chinatown. Oh, actually. in Chinatown. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Word. But there's still uh. a, there's a Chipotle three blocks away, so I'm I'm safe. Yeah, well, Zach's gonna be in the financial district. Uh, I'm all the way up on the Upper West Side. Nice. But I think I think we're gonna host a Just Hands home game. Uh, no way. Yeah. Yeah, like low, oh, you know, low state, low stakes, but like, you know, kind of. Not just no limits, some like different games, and you know, just kind of have some fun with it. Sounds great. Cool. We'll, we'll we'll keep you posted about that. And anyone who's listening who wants to play like a twenty-five cent, fifty cent game where swings of hundreds of dollars are possible, and get to meet us in person in New York, shoot us a message. Uh, Guaranteed fish in the game. Let's go. <laughs> Not when we're done coaching, Mike. But we'll we'll talk about that after the podcast. Uh, <laughs> 